Welcome to Sun to the Flag Radio, brought to you by Fire Engineering Blog Talk Radio. Our mission at Sun to the Flag is to revolutionize burn care and the quality of life for veterans, first responders, and families. We bring together passionate community leaders, pioneering physicians, experienced military service members, dedicated first responders, and purposeful civilians to complete our mission. Sons of the Flag, we believe that the future of burn care resides in research and development, and our mission is to accelerate this process of testing leading technologies and pushing them into circulation for immediate use by burn survivors across the nation. As we start every show, Landon and I, yep. this is Justin Bemis, uh, Landon, uh, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> um, we're going to start tonight's show by honoring our fallen brothers and sisters since our last show. And then we'll do a brief pause for our fallen law enforcement since it is law enforcement week as we record this week. And uh, our military veterans that we've also lost overseas and here at home to PTSD or other issues. So since our last show, Tony Duve, du, excuse me for messing this name up, Duvin uh, Vorde, Cody Mullins, Horace Wright, Fred Fedler, Chester Locke, Roy Sewell. May we take a moment of silence for him. All right. You know, that's so, such a stark. I, I, I mentioned it last time. Yeah. I hate that there's any names on that list, but the last two times we've done this, I'm, it, the list has been so short. Um, and coming from the past two years mm-hmm. where we lost so many. Yeah. Um, I just, I just, I hope that's a trend. It's 27 as of right now this year, and we're coming into June. And I'd hate to say that's a great number, but it is. You know, one name that's not on there. We lost a local firefighter here uh, up in McKinney, uh, a good guy. I, I've gone to classes with him. Captain Jamie Graham was killed at a MVC a couple weeks ago, uh, heading to the college that I teach at. And so I want to also honor him because uh, we do have a lot of McKinney firefighters that uh, do a lot with our organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's important that we honor and recognize him and his commitment to the fire service. And it's a huge, unfortunate loss. Um, but you know what, he left us in a really good spot. And so it's a beautiful thing to honor and carry these names forward and yep. make sure we honor them and respect and them. Let and let everybody hear them. Yeah. Know their stories, man. Cause these guys have got great stories and just like our guest tonight, um, this is a notable fire. Um, when Greg Turnell, uh, reached out to us and said, I have a guest for you. And gr- whenever Greg, whenever. You know, <laughs> he reaches out, it's usually somebody good. Yeah, whenever so, Greg reaches out, you're like, this um, is going to be good. But Greg reached out to us and said, hey, I've got a guest I want you guys to talk to. And I'm like, well, who do you got? And he goes, well, he goes, you know the Cherry Road Fire. I'm like, well, yeah, hopefully most firefighters have at least heard about it or have not read the reports about it. Um, and he's like, well, my buddy, Lieutenant Joe Morgan, um, would love to join the show. And <laughs> I remember I, I, I texted Landon and I'm like, is he for real? Like, this is, yeah, please. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's no uh, question. Yeah. And so tonight's guest, um, I'm honored and just absolutely privileged to be able to sit here and talk to this gentleman, um, you know, just to sit here and listen to this story as we come up on the anniversary of the actual fire, May 30th, uh, 1999. The day that uh, you're going to be listening to this. Yeah, the day this show comes out. So when you guys listen to this show, it's going to be May 30th. It'll be the anniversary. But our distinguished guest tonight, Lieutenant Joe Morgan. Thanks for being here, brother. Thank you so much for having me, brother. I really appreciate it. 
No, I I know. Yeah, I know it's a tough time to come on and talk about these types of stories. But man, I'm just telling you, just to know that young guys such as myself and new firefighters, that your story and your brother's stories can continue on is the most important thing. That we never forget. You know the sacrifices that occurred that day. Hey man, thank you so much. I, it, it, it's amazing to me when we uh, when I sit down to talk about it and and the story is revisited. Uh, most recently, I spoke with a with a, a graduating class from a local fire department, and I normally ask the question of uh, you know what is, what is my audience? How, what is that? What is the age range of the audience? Right. And I'll ask them if anyone has is under 20 years old or so, you know, around that age group. Mm-hmm. And it always amazes me how the hands will be raised and to think that these kids are coming into the department and they weren't even born yeah. at the time when I got hurt. Mm-hmm. And to be able to share my story with them, just to give them some insight of how serious our job is. Mm-hmm. As firefighters, um, not only firefighters, you, you know, military, uh, uh, the police officers, all the first responders, but the seriousness of the job. And uh, anyway, I don't want to get too serious now. I just wanted to say, hey, and, yeah. and that just that, that just came to mind uh, right as you mentioned that. So that is an incredible uh, that that gosh, I, I don't it's 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 strange whenever you think like you're you're talking to these guys who who weren't born then and yet. The commitment. There's something. There's something in the in the military and the police officer and firefighter genetics where it's like they just gravitate to it. Yeah. And for them to be able to yes. hear your story is 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 incredible. You know, and yes. I think you you nailed it perfectly. We'll talk about it, but the commitment and the dangers of this job. You know, are, mm-hmm. my fear is that sometimes some departments and some guys are just seeing a paycheck and they're going to do this job just because it's a checkbox for them just to have a, a, a job. And there's an underlying seriousness and danger to the job. You know, you're to me, the cherry road fire is up there on, uh, you know, up to uh, the same level as black Sunday, black Sunday. Right. And so, you know, <laughs> we know the stories about that. And then the stories that we're going to continue to hear down the road, just like nine 11, right. Half these guys in the fire service. Now we're not alive at nine 11 either. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a new concept right. that we right. make sure we remember what we've done. And I think it's important that and learning these lessons. Is yeah. Hear, hear your yes. words straight from your mouth and let them know exactly what occurred. And most importantly, in my view, the lessons learned. Yeah. Right. Yes. That's yes. what, you know, n- you know, no sacrifice can go without a lesson learned and we have to learn from it. So it doesn't occur again. And we remember the legacies and we honor them to move forward and make sure that our guys are trained up through the way that we need to do in order to do our job. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. So with that being absolutely. said, let's talk about why did you join the fire service? Was it a family thing? Did you just, you know, get that itch, that calling or how, how did you, how did you become one so of those involved? young 20 year olds yeah. in, the, in the fire department? <laughs> it, it's, I'm sitting here laughing to myself because uh, you had mentioned uh, for some of the guys, it's the job is just a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And t- to be honest, absolutely transparent. <laughs> when, I, when I, when I first became a firefighter, it was for the paycheck. Yeah. I, I was a single parent at the time I was raising my son. Uh, I, uh, the, the job that I had, I was making $22,000 a year mm-hmm. and I was wanted to send him to private uh, school. 
And the private school was, I think, either $2,000 or $2,500 a year. And I was working part-time trying to figure it out. Yeah. And the fire department started off with a salary of $25,000 a year. And, man, <laughs> it's... That, it just hit right into the pot. Yeah, that, that 25 extra 100 <laughs> yeah. bucks goes a long way. <laughs> it goes a long way. It, it goes a long way. So that's how I actually got started. That's awesome. And um, I can honestly say when I was at the training academy, I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't have any reference. I didn't know any firefighters at the time. I'm a first-generation firefighter in my family. And um, once I got to the academy, there were times when we were doing some of the drills and I was thinking, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it, and so it really was a, a eye-opening uh, experience. It was very uh, physical and challenging and I was pretty athletic. So that was a challenge for me. I, I uh, enjoyed that part of it, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until I actually got into the company okay. when I really started to understand the job itself. And when I really fell in love with it yeah. and, uh, and you know, the fighting, the fire was, was great. It's a adrenaline rush and it was, uh, what we joined the department to do, but it was the interaction that I had with the community that really sparked my love for the job. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, that's how it all that's how it all began for me. You know, I'm big on Alan Brunacini. It's customer service, and I think that's where a lot of us in the fire service and I, and, I, and I don't I should, you know backtrack real quick. I don't think a lot of us in the fire service. I think a lot of us in the fire service these days understand there's a community service and a customer service side that mm-hmm. to be a part of the community is it, it's it's our only success, right? I mean, look at yes. all the P, the police departments. You know, we have so many police departments being defunded. Because I don't think they have that community alignment yeah. that we need to have in the fire service. And I think that we've done really well at in the fire service. You know, customer service yes. and community involvement is paramount to our success. I mean, we have to have it. And as a civilian, that's one of the, that's one of the more interesting things that I find whenever I go to these fire conferences. And I think you, you might be one of the first guests to mention, you know, the, the, the community aspect of it. Um, but at every fire conference, that's something that is routinely – you know, enforce. It's like we're we're mm-hmm. servants of this community. We are here mm-hmm. to serve and protect life and property, and I, I, that's that's such a massive driving force. But behind what y'all do, yes, you know, it, yes. it's it's kind of like when you swear that oath, right? You get that badge pinned under your chest. The amount of weight that is now sitting on you, the yeah. responsibility that is now upon you. You know, when I teach mm-hmm. the recruits at the fire academy right now up up here at Collin College. The job's not done. You just graduated Fire Academy. Good job. Guess what? The real job starts now. And it's that's just beginning. Yes, yes. And it's a continual learning moment. But the thing that we all fail to teach, and I think is the community service side. And I think that's what most people, like you said, you get involved in, the, you get to a good house, and all of a sudden, man, community involvement's huge. Yeah. You got to have it. It is. That's awesome. It is. It is. Yes. So when you became a firefighter, I mean, this community aspect, like you go from, okay, I need the money to this is, this is a lifestyle. Talk about that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Talk about Mm -hmm. being in DC and being around, around that community. It was a very interesting dynamic for me because I grew up in Washington, DC. I was born and raised in, in, in the city. And so, um, 
being a part of that community, being a part of the fire service community, as well as the neighborhood community was a, uh, it, 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 how, how do I put it? Trying to uh, meld that together was, was difficult at times right. because, um, you know, and, and this is not to say to drive any, uh, uh, nails into some of the services or some of the guys that were servicing the community but i could you could honestly tell those who um weren't necessarily from dc that were coming in to work in dc and then going back home as opposed to those who grew up in the city right and there was it was a, a a stark difference in the way that we handled the the residents of the city yeah. But with that being said, you know, you you have I had the opportunity and I can't say that I I um, made a difference everywhere, but I had the opportunity to be that bridge between the guys who were just coming into the city to work and and the actual actual community That's because great. I was that community. So, you know, I I. I I'm, and I, it's just coming to my mind now as we're talking about it that I, I was actually a bridge between the two. But the the fire service is a true brotherhood, something that I had never experienced before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there there are stark differences between, uh, you know, race relations and uh, um, uh, cultural relate, you know, relations. There's a difference there. But when you actually come together and you're doing a job that requires you to leave all that behind yeah. and to work as a team, that's the amazing part of that job. And I, I I just loved it so much. And then we got to the place where we sat down and we broke bread together. We had, you know, had dinner together. We slept together. Uh, you become a true family. Yes. And And no matter what your differences are, you have to set those aside when you're out there doing your job. Yeah. And so um, you, you, you kind of grew up. It's almost like having the big brother, little brother scenario where you guys don't get along, but you love each other anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. So that's that's what it reminds me of. I mean, it's almost like you, it was a divine appointment for you that you were meant to be there for that reason yeah. to maybe bridge that gap between the community and, and the fire service itself. And that's, there. Su- that's such an interesting gap to have to relay because there is, you know, when even if you just go visit another place it's not your home mm-hmm. you don't have mm-hmm. that connection to it you don't and unfortunately you don't have a certain that certain respect for it and right. for for somebody like yourself to be there and say you know this is this is where i grew up this is where my roots are and yeah. to be able to translate that into service and those guys coming in and explaining that to them i mean that changes the entire dynamic of not only just your relationship but of the fire department itself yes yes so when you yes, came, it, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm no, ready. I was just going to ask. I was going to follow up with another question. No, I was only if you got something to add, add to it, please do. No, no, I, I was just, I was basically just agreeing with that. It, it, it definitely, um, it, it was a, an opportunity to share, be a, a difference maker. Yeah. And I didn't even realize it at the time. That that's what that's the position that God had me in. I didn't even realize it, but now I do because yeah. we're having this conversation. So, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Hindsight, hindsight twenty twenty thing, right? Yes, yes. 
So when you came out of the academy, where where were you assigned? What what was your initial assignment? So my initial assignment was Engine Company Three, which is a small house, a single engine, um, and we had an ambulance that ran out of the same house. It was located very close to Cap. Well, it was in Capitol Hill, but it was very close to the Capitol. Okay. And um, in the northwest section of D.C. Oh, and the beautiful thing I loved about that little tiny house is that we ran all four sections of the city from that location. So we were in an ideal spot where we would either run northwest Washington. Um, you know, for those who don't know, Washington, D.C. is broken out into four separate sections of the city. You have northwest, southwest, southeast, and northeast. And so our little firehouse would run all four sections of the city. So uh, we got we had the chance to work with, uh, you know, different different uh, firehouses and companies as we're running uh, fire calls and and emergencies. But we also had to learn all four sections of the city, which is unique because there uh from where we are there was a d street northwest the d street southeast and the d street southwest and you had to know <laughs> which one you were going to that right. sounds confusing it, for me it was, <laughs> so it was very it, that was what was so new, unique about that place and i really really enjoyed it so you know it's unique because you know once i found out we were interviewing you that was one of the first things a lot of times i'll just start researching you know the agency you know mm-hmm. a little bit more to get a better understanding and DC has a fantastic site. The way that they lay it out with their where their, you know their their houses are at, and it, and you said and as soon as you said it, I knew exactly what you're talking about. And <laughs> to know that you're running basically the entire city from that location is unbelievable. Well, the different the, yes. the different demographics that you must have ran into mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. just doing that. I mean, from upper to lower. I mean, you're kind of hitting all the different ranges, and the interactions just had to be extremely unique. Yes, absolutely. Um, it, you know, we've had the opportunity uh, to run the Capitol. Um, I used to uh, transfer to one of the other companies, and we would support the, the White House and the president. Um, I had the opportunity to uh, work at the fireboat, which was um, in our division. And so the fireboat would run, you know, the entire um, – section of the city that was covered by water i i had a a great it was a great location it was a great house and it, it afforded me a lot of great opportunities to to work in different sections of the city and do different totally different jobs that is awesome that is that I'm, is. I'm, I'm completely envious right now. <laughs> where, where bemis works there's mostly fields, fields and stuff like that so. yeah yeah, uh, yeah. I got your grass fires covered <laughs> if you need them. <laughs> and in Texas, those we need that. Golly. So, what year did you actually? Did I don't know if I if I caught it or not. What what year did you actually go through the academy and become sworn in as a firefighter for DC? So, December nineteen ninety was when I I started the academy and. That was in the capacity of going through EMT school. That was one of the requirements where, you know, nowadays I think the, the departments want you to already have EMT as oh, you're coming in. Right. Where when I came on board, we actually learned EMT first 
And we had to pass that before we can actually go to fire school. Gotcha. So that was in December 1990. Then I started fire training in uh, January of uh, 91. And I believe our graduation was somewhere around April of March of uh, 91. Okay. And uh, from there, I went to Engine 3. And I was at Engine 3 for about two years. And then they closed that firehouse. And I transferred from there. Uh, to another location, and then I ended up transferring one more time when I ended up at Engine 26, which was uh, my home at the time that I got hurt. Okay. So that's going to – we probably yeah, kind of lead yeah. into that real quick. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, What was going through my head is joined in the 90s and yet 99, not that far off. That's such a pivotal year for you. I mean, that. so let's, let's, let's jump into the day. I, Mm-hmm. Kind of describe, if you remember, you know, kind of how the day opened up, and we'll get into the call. I do. Well, I, my actual, I was working overtime that night. Um, my actual shift ended uh, Saturday morning. I worked Friday. Saturday morning, I got a tap on the bunk, and um, – while I was, you know, in the bunk room, for those who are not familiar, we're in the bunk room where we sleep, where we lay our heads down for the night. And I got a tap on my bed that morning to ask me if I would uh, be interested in working overtime because it was the holiday weekend. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes uh, that w- that's a time when you have the most overtime opportunities around holidays because a lot of guys will take off, take vacation or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. So. Um, they, gave, they asked me if I wanted to work that night, and I, I told them yes, of course, because my girlfriend and I, who's my wife now, but my girlfriend and I were planning on taking our kids on vacation. So it, for me, it was an t- uh, opportunity to make a little extra money mm-hmm. that would have the pocket change while we're on vacation. Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember, and she reminded me of a, a lot of this, but we spent the entire day together and when I was telling her that you know I was supposed to go in that night and work overtime um, she was asking me not to go she said why don't you just tell them you can't come in you know we can just continue to to continue our Saturday and uh, and go from there and little did I know at that time that her request was because she felt something dooming she couldn't explain it, but she she said she had this uneasy feeling, mm. and she just you know wanted me to to forego working that night and uh, stay home. Mm. And uh, what is interesting to some is that I was a technician at the time, a wagon driver, and so I was supposed to drive that night. When I went in to work, uh, one of the guys who who had been driving all day, he was a uh, um, he had been working at, at Engine 26 for quite a few years, and I had a lot of respect for him as a firefighter, as a person, and uh, and I didn't feel that I wanted to bump him from driving that night when I had the opportunity to maybe catch some fire. So I told him to go ahead and drive, and I would ride the back step, um, hoping to uh, catch some fire that night. Yeah. And boy, did I ever. <laughs> <Golly>. <laughs> <laughs> so may 30th 1999 yes. um 
3146 Cherry Road, right? Northeast Washington, yes. D.C. The mm-hmm. initial call was a townhouse fire, right? And then that's correct. The information wasn't relayed in initially that the fire was in the basement, right? And from my from reading that's the reports, mm-hmm. most of y'all didn't gather that information. If if I'm if I'm correct, if I'm wrong, please correct me. Um, but that information wasn't relayed, or y'all didn't receive it. Am I am I right? Well, so yes and no, and and I'll explain why. Yeah. So we actually, my company had uh, responded on a call earlier. It was for a motor vehicle accident, and so we were actually heading back to the firehouse at the time of the call. So. Um, imagine if you will, you know, a, a, a you're going up a street, a road that has a hill, and at the top of the hill is the firehouse off to the left hand side. You you would be able to see it. Mm-hmm. So we were coming back to the firehouse, come, cresting that hill, and we got the call. And they asked us to re- respond on the fire and reported uh, townhouse fire, and they gave us the address, told us we were first due. And we headed in that direction. So once we got to that top of the hill, I can actually see our firehouse off to the left-hand side. It was a, 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 a cross street of Rhode Island, Rhode Island Avenue when we were on Montana Avenue. And so we took a right-hand turn to head towards the, the uh, fire. And uh, I could see the, the bay door for the truck company starting to rise. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mention that uh, engine 26 where I was at this time was, a, it was a double house. So we had a engine and a truck running out of that house. So the, the bay door for the truck company was starting to rise. Uh, we took the right-hand turn. Um, they had their lights on. I could, I knew that they were responding behind us. And so as we were in route, I heard uh, communications come back across the radio to say, um, uh, engine 26 be advised that it's report of a basement fire. Okay. And so, um, and we continued to head in that direction. I could feel the, uh, the wagon driver put a little more pressure on the gas pedal as we were uh, going down Rhode Island Avenue. So I could, I heard the report, um, that was given by communications. I'm not sure you know, it was so much going on at the time. I I can't say that. Um, right. That the uh, the uh, officer responded to that or not, or if any of the other companies had responded to that. But I know that I heard it. So and so. Uh, so as you guys are arriving, yeah. what is kind of going through your mind? Obviously, you know, y'all are a little bit more amplified. Obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But what what's kind of going through your mind? What are you seeing as you guys are arriving on scene? Well, the first thing I noticed as we were coming into the block, um, you could see a haze of smoke in the area. You could smell it in the air. And I, uh, I, I turned to my partner in the back, Lou Matthews, at the time. And he was running the uh, line company, and I was running uh, the layout. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, this is the real deal, baby. You know, are you ready? <laughs> and so he had, you know, the big smile on his face. And he was like, yeah, I'm ready. And um, and I noticed that uh, one of the, someone from the neighborhood ran out into the street to point towards the house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anytime you have somebody that, that runs out in, in, in front of a, 
uh, moving fire truck, you know it's the real deal. Yeah. You know this is this is uh, absolutely uh, a working fire. So um, again, it's my position as the layout. I wanted to make sure that I got the hose line hooked up to the hydrant uh, so that we would have water. And uh, one of our uh, rival companies, Engine Company Ten, which is uh, it's neighboring, uh, right? neighboring firehouse we uh um you know we had that that healthy rivalry (laughs) and uh you know opposing companies and so they pulled up to pick up the hydrant and uh i just remember running back to my company and i was telling them hey engine 10 is here let's go we need to go because you know back then uh D.C., Washington, we had a very aggressive department. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it wasn't it wasn't far fetched to uh, to believe that somebody would come in and try to take your fire if you weren't on scene. So, uh, you know, we we were aggressively getting ready, heading to the fire. And all I remember is when I got up to the front door, there was heavy, heavy black smoke billowing out of here. Uh, met us at the door. Um and, uh, you know, dropped down uh, to my knee to put on my gear. Uh, Lou had already advanced the line inside, and uh, I got my uh, mask on, my helmet on, and I grabbed the hose line to follow him in. And it was moderate heat, you know, enough to make let you know that it was, uh, um, you were running into something, but it wasn't anything that was, uh, that we hadn't experienced before at mm-hmm. that time. Um, but visibility was absolutely not there was no visibility you couldn't see your hand in front of your face that was some very thick heavy black smoke that was coming out that front door so that's what we uh that's what we first encountered just to clarify because obviously some of the terminology down here is a little bit different can you just what what is the layout man uh so the layout man is uh the one who will uh take the hose line off the back of the fire truck and connect to the fire hydrant Okay. So um, that's for, uh, you know, city municipalities. I'm not exactly sure how it works in uh, out in the counties where I know uh, a lot of a lot of companies in the rural areas will have tankers that will support. So I'm not sure how that all works. Okay. But uh, uh, but in the city, you know, we have the fire hydrants there and, and we'll my job was to connect the hose line from the back of the fire truck to the to the hydrant and then the fire truck the engine would uh, go on to um, take his position in front of the the working fire and then he would make connections from that hose to the engine gotcha okay yeah because i was trying to th- I, I was i was picking up on it just a little bit but i wanted to make sure because mm-hmm. terminology down here I, i'm sure across the country yeah. it's it's laid out a little bit differently yeah i'm sh- i'm sure yeah. so um so y'all are first on um, mm-hmm. when reading the report, um, y'all's nozzleman was having an issue with his, his face piece. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. From, um, from my understanding, when, when I first got back to the apparatus to put my gear on, he and the, uh, the wagon driver were running back to the piece and he had asked me for my face piece because, uh, I think Lou Lou's face piece. I don't know if the uh, the straps had failed, or but something had failed. So he ended up uh, 
grabbing the wagon driver's face piece and using that as he uh, uh, prepared to enter into the building. All right, so you guys have now made entry. You're talking about you got an enormous amount of heat, the just mm-hmm. thick black smoke pushing. You guys are pushing forward and then kind of explain what happens from there as you guys are making your initial push. So um, the townhouse that we were uh, entering was, was very small and, and you know, square footage. I think it was probably about 32 feet from the front door to the rear um, sliding glass door. So front to back, 32 feet. So we were crawling down the hallway that was leading back to the uh, living room area. And, you know, as I said, first entry, heavy smoke, couldn't see anything in front of you, got to a certain point back towards the living room and had visibility. Whereas I could see that we were in the living room. I could see the sliding glass door that was um, in front of us off to the left. Uh, I could see the kitchenette. I could see the dinette area. So we had obviously passed by the source of the heat and the smoke. And uh, I asked Lou if he had found the fire at this time. He said he was still looking. Uh, And shortly after that, I turned to you know, visually searched the room. So as I was describing off to the left, the sliding glass door, the, the dinette, the kitchenette. So I'm making a, uh, I'm looking towards my left, the whole route. And then once I looked over my left shoulder, back towards where we had come from, I saw a flash of flame blow through the basement door. Mm-hmm. It was quick. It it came in and then it it went away and we lost all visibility. Uh, the room blackened down to the point where we couldn't see anything. And the heat was unbelievable. I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I had never experienced anything like that before. And the heat was on top of us to the point where we were, I lost contact with the hose line and I, and I believe Lou did as well. And I was scrambling in my, in my gear, trying to get some relief from the heat, moving deeper into the the uh, townhouse to get away from it, and uh, it was it, again, it was just something that uh, I had never experienced before. And I, you know, even in the short period of time that I had been on the department, uh, I had been in some pretty hot fires, and this was something that I had never, I could have never imagined. What What was the average years of service? For- for your crew, Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. Average years. Were you were you um, the probably, young, were you the youngest guy? No, no. Uh, Lou was the youngest guy. I think he had, I think he had six years on at the time. Okay, six or seven years, and I probably had eight years at the time. I believe the officer, uh, Lou Redding, who was the lieutenant, he may have been a ten year vet. Okay. And then um, I, the wagon driver, Donnie Lewis, I know he had been at Engine 26 for about 15 years. So everybody had, I mean, there was, so yeah, it wasn't a rookie issue at all. So this is a very well-seasoned no. crew. Yes. Okay. And so y'all yes. had that just enormous heat. And from the time that you guys actually made entry to this point, how much time it actually lapsed? Is it, it 
from my report, I mean, from what I read, I, I watched any of those videos, the whole thing lasted was about two minutes. Am I correct? So it was probably about closer to three or four to five minutes from the, the entry point into the room. Okay. But it was about two minutes from the point where we got hit with the heated gases to when I made when I exited the building. Okay. So it was a uh, it 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 wasn't a long. Um, we weren't in there for a very long period of time, and you know the when the heat hit us. Uh, from the time, you know, based on the report that they that NIST had um, uh, developed, and that's the National Institutes of Science and Technology, mm-hmm. um, based on that report, from the entry of the heat to uh, from tolerable temperatures around somewhere around five to six hundred degrees to the uh, heated temperature that we got burned at fifteen hundred degrees Jesus. was about two seconds. From the temperature change, uh, traveling at approximately, I think they how, uh, calculated it at 15 miles per hour. How many seconds did you say? Two. Two? Golly. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, this, so there was no way to prepare to prepare for that. No, it's because it, 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 it's counter. I don't, I don't know how you could prepare for anything in two seconds. Well, it's counter to everything that they teach you in the academy, right? Is what well, you know. Mm-hmm. The academy always teaches you, you know, go to the full fog, you know, to fight, which we all is now been debunked. But that doesn't give mm-hmm. you time to even think. No, that's no. T- no. My God. So who who ended up finding the knowledge? Because y'all were able to get a little bit of cooling to be able to exit the building. You were able to exit the building with the cooling, correct? Or, yes. So was it you that yes. that found the nozzle? Yes. Okay, and then you put it on a full fog to try to protect yourselves a little bit. Full fog. I put a straight stream straight to stream. the ceiling. My man. My <laughs> man. A cir- <laughs> with a circle pattern. Yeah. To to knock it down. So um, again, the 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 temperature change in that room was was significant. And the amount of time that we had to respond to it, obviously two seconds, it doesn't, it doesn't give you time to do much. So, um, you know, Lou and I had brief conversation about, you know, if something has definitely gone wrong in, in this situation, we need to get out. And unfortunately at the time, and some of the changes that came afterward was that firefighters, all firefighters didn't carry radios at the time, only the officer. That was going to be so one of my questions, yeah. Yeah, so the, the officer was the only one that carried radios, and, and basically Lou Matthews and myself, we were in communication with each other because we were uh, right next to each other and supporting each other. But, um, you know, beyond that, it wasn't like we could call for a mayday. It wasn't anything. God, it's uh, terrifying. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the way that's the way that the departments used to operate back then. And um, so uh, – I asked him if he had the hose line. He said he didn't, and uh, and I didn't as well. So I said, you know, we need to find it because we need to get out. And so, you know, I had the wherewithal to to look around, and you know, as God would have it, I probably reached out about three or four feet in front of me, and I found a nozzle, and uh, I took it, rolled on my back. I could see the heated gases starting to bank down. Um, it had every sign of flashing over, 
and I opened up the uh, straight stream to the ceiling, did a circle pattern to try to cool it down. And believe it or not, in all of that, you could feel the temperature drop. Mm-hmm. And so I did a second um, pattern on the um, circle pattern on the uh, ceiling, uh, rolled over again and followed the hose line out, not knowing at the time if Lou Matthews had already gotten out or not. But once I came outside, uh, I, I just basically dove out the front door, uh, rolled on my back, and I told them where they could find Lou. And um, and then from that point, you know, they would try to cool me down. They said uh, some of the stories that I've heard from the guys uh, since then that said that I was my gear was smoking. Um, they couldn't; it was hot to the touch. They couldn't even touch it. And so they used hose lines to try to cool me down. And then, of course, they tried to, they uh, wanted to cut my gear off of me. And um, so, yeah, that was, uh, it was, it was a, it all happened really fast. You know, um, again, uh, two minutes from the time that we got hit with the heat to the time that I made it out the room, two seconds from the time when the heat um, temperature changed to the extremes and, um, and then when they cut my gear off, you know, it's like they pulled my gloves off and the skin from my fingers were hanging. They uh, cut my uh, my T-shirt off and the skin from my stomach went with it. And the whole time I was thinking, this is really not good. <laughs> I didn't know how badly I was burned, but yeah. uh, I, you know, I knew it, I knew this wasn't wasn't it was the worst burn that I had had at that point. And from what I've read and, you know, and seen, you were awake through the entire duration until you got to the hospital and they realized that you needed to go under because it was a lot worse, I guess, and they had anticipated. Am I, am I correct? Yes. Yes, that's correct. I, um, I, I recall conversations that I had with the, uh, medics in the back of the unit and, uh, um, I recall a conversation I had with the nurse when I was in, uh, you know, in the uh, in MedStar, the emergency room. And uh, I don't know exactly when they they put me out, but uh, I do remember all those days. I remember as I was laying there and they brought in uh, the second firefighter uh, that they had um, recovered from the from the fire. Um so, you know, I have a vivid memory of all of that. Yeah. And then after they put me out, of course, the next time I woke up, uh, which I don't, I think I, I'm, I wrote about it in my book. It has, my book hasn't published yet, but I wrote about it in the book where I woke up during the surgery and uh, I must have made a noise or something because I looked down and I could see the doctors operating on my legs mm-hmm. and, uh, then they turned and looked at me oh, wow. <laughs> and the next thing you know, I was back out again. So, <laughs> God. yeah. So you guys lost one and then engine 10 lost one, correct? Yes. Yes. And so let me kind of back up what, all right. So you've now exited the building, right? You're on the front lawn and what is going through your mind at this moment? Because you, you, you just literally five minutes ago, you you were performing your operations as a layout man, and you were making mm-hmm. getting ready to make a hard push in, right? 
Yes. And then five minutes has gone by, and now you're in the front yard, and in essence, your skin is now melted off you. What What is going through your mind? Because obviously that fight or flight kicked in. You knew exactly how to default to your skill set that you were taught. You got on your back. You got that straight stream shot up to the ceiling, and you started controlling that environment the best that you could to give yourself and everybody else a survivable chance to get the hell out of there. But what goes through your mind at that point once that adrenaline dump just stops? Yeah. What what what, what was going on? So let me back up just a bit, um, just a bit for especially for uh, some of the younger firefighters that might be listening to this, and Absolutely. even some of the seasoned ones. Um, the reason I was able to get out, one, and and I and I have to profess this to the end of end of end of times. One was because God allowed it 100 he gave me an opportunity but my training kicked in Mm -hmm. so my training was locked in to the point that i knew what what to do in that instance so i'll give you the example that i share with everyone because it was such a real uh it was so real that it i can't do it any other way during the the academy we had uh, a, a drill where we would follow a hose line into a maze Mm -hmm. and then we had to find our way out of the maze so i can remember this one drill where uh i was got i had gotten really frustrated i was not panic mode but it was a lot of commotion going on because you know they had all the firefighters in that same maze yeah and my instructor at the time was in my ear i couldn't see but he was in my ear he told me the first thing i needed to do was control my breathing right Second thing I needed to do was think and think about what I needed, what was my next move. And then the third thing I needed to do was execute. So while I was in that uh, environment, when that heat was on top of us and I didn't have a connection to the hose line and I I was panicking, starting to panic because of uh, what we were experiencing, his voice was in my ear and he said, control your breathing, which I did. And I started to slow down my breathing. And he told me to think. And I thought, hey, I need to find this hose line. I need to find a nozzle to cool this place down. And then I need to execute that and follow the hose line out, just like I was trained at the academy eight years prior to this. So that's what got me out of there. Now, when I got outside, I was... You know, I really didn't have much thought other than the fact that I was hoping that Lou had gotten out. Um, I felt like uh, I could, I knew that I was burned because I could feel the bee stings all over my body, especially on my face. Yeah. But uh, I didn't know at that point how badly I was burned. So I thought it was one of those things where I would go to the hospital, they'd put a couple of bandages on me, send me home the next day. I'd, uh, uh, get a week off from work maybe two and then i would be back to work that's what i thought at right. the time so that's probably where my mindset was is you know um it doesn't look like my wife and i or well, my girlfriend and i are going to go on vacation right now because i gotta heal from this <laughs> uh you know that kind of that, those are the things that i was thinking about and then uh uh you know i i had to apologize to one of our firefighters when i was there uh, uh, one of our female firefighters who was standing over top of me and, was, and cooling me down with the hose line. 
And you know, I asked her. I said, "Did I burn my junk off?" Oh my! And I'm using <laughs> I'm using the word lightly. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did I burn off? She was like, "Nah, man, nah, you okay?" <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that was my concern. <laughs> yeah, I get it, man. Well, you got a girlfriend, of course. Oh man! <laughs> yes, yes. And so you get to you get to the hospital, and mm-hmm. you're 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 under. When did you begin to realize the severity of the situation and, and the burns? Wow. Um, you know, I don't know when the severity kicked in, but I do recall um, waking up in my room and at the foot of my bed was, it seemed like a hundred people looking back at me. Oh, wow. And so the whole time I'm thinking, you know, I'm still thinking that I'm going to get out of there in, in another day or two, you know, and uh, I didn't realize at the time uh, that I had tubes down my throat because, you know, they had intubated me. Mm-hmm. I had a, a feeding tube down my nose. I had IVs in every place that they could stick one. I had uh, the blood pressure, pressure, blood pressure cuff on my arm and I was bandaged from head to toe. And um, so the whole time I thought I was talking to everybody, but it turns out that they couldn't hear me because you know I had this tube in my throat. And so basically I can only gesture to say that you know I was okay. I, you know, I, someone mentioned that I did a thumbs up to say everything was okay. Um, I guess after the first week, when I was still there and, you know, the, the nursing staff would have to come and, and uh, take me to the room. I used to call it the room, but where they would uh, actually have to bathe me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's when the reality started to kick in. It's like, you know, this is serious. And, um, I heard the story that it didn't, they, my, my family didn't tell me right away uh, because I kept asking about Lou Matthews. I kept asking, you know, had he made it out? I was asking my sister, had he, you know, have you heard about what's going on with Lou? Have you heard? And um, she didn't have the strength at the time to tell me that he had passed. Mm. Uh, I think she was trying to protect me as well. And um, I didn't know that he had passed away until the Thursday before his funeral. I think he was, uh, he was funeralized on Friday, I believe. And uh, I didn't watch the news until that Thursday. Mm. And so, um, and I didn't know about um, Tony Phillips. No, maybe it was Tony who was buried on Friday and Lou on Saturday. I can't remember now, but, um, I just saw the news coverage of one of the funerals. Uh, it came on, and then I, I asked them to turn it off because I couldn't watch it. And it just made me realize that uh, uh, I may be next. I, you know, that's kind of yeah. where my mind was. I said, I may be next. Yeah. And um, uh, so, yeah. Man, I I don't know if that answered the question. That, yeah, no, that 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 did, that did. No, I'm I'm just sitting here looking at pictures of both both of them, Tony and and Lou, and just listening to the story, and just it's 
I don't know. I'm just trying to. You try to wrap your head around something mm-hmm. like that. It, you know, each. I told you a little bit about Zach before we got started, and you know we've mm-hmm. we've had uh, other burn survivors on, and and each time you know. I try to wrap my head around what you know being burned and then what you're going to have to go through in the future. Cause now, I mean, it's, it's a new, it's a completely new journey. That's, that's, that's gotten started and it's, absolutely you know, it's the, the length and the surgeries and the change of your behavior. And I, I can't, you know, I can't imagine. I know many of the burn survivors who lost people in you know, the survivor guilt um, you know, talk us, talk us through the mental, the mental side of this and, 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 uh, you know, how many surgeries, um, were you getting up to, um, and, and kind of just, just kind of walk us, walk us through that. The mental side of it, um, I guess at the time, I, well, I won't say, I guess I know at the time when I was uh, when I was going through the initial stages, um, my only thought was death was not an option. Mm-hmm. I had you know two young kids that I had to get home to. You know I mentioned that uh, how I started the fire department was uh, raising my my son as a single parent, but then I had a young daughter that uh, uh, had come along ten years later after after him, and. Um, you know, I just, I just knew that I had to get home to them. So uh, I just, at that, I guess my fight was doing what I had to do in order to get back home. And, and then I had a, a major support group that was unbelievable. My, my wife, um, my, my, my family, my sisters, my, my friends, the, the fire department, you know, I was constantly being encouraged and supported, which helped with a lot of what I was going through on the surface. They couldn't do anything with the internal uh, dealings, but they definitely were able to help me on the surface to uh, uh, to stay focused and to you know want to get better. It was almost like I couldn't let them down at that point. You know, so many yeah. people had had been coming to visit and, and uh, spend time with me. I had some, some amazing stories of, of uh, support while I was in the hospital. And then even afterward with uh, 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 the support that I received from family, friends and, and the far- firefighter family as well. What, what was your initial uh, percentage for survival? It, it was fairly low. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. That they they gave me five percent chance of survival, um, probably for the first month that I was in the hospital. Oh, um, well, maybe maybe the five percent was the first two weeks, the critical time, and then it was fifty percent from that point um, until I got to uh, the stage where I went to the step down unit, which is uh, where you come out of ICU and you go down to the actual burn unit, and they they it's less of a you're less critical at that point. You right. may be in serious condition. So uh, I spent two and a half months in the hospital. Two of those months were in ICU, actually. Yeah. And um, and the transition from there was uh, 
incredibly difficult psychologically mm-hmm. um, because, you know, from that point, everyone was taking care of me. So now I had to get to the place where I had to take care of myself. Yeah. And that was that was hard, a hard transition. Um, you had mentioned you had asked about the surgeries and I think I skipped over it. So in the the, the time spent at the hospital, that initial um, I think I had about 15 surgeries from um, from the time that I first came into um, Washington Hospital Center until I left to go home. And then over the years, and you know, this is a, a span of 20 years now, mm-hmm. over 20, but I've had an excess of 45 surgeries in total. What re- Remind me what the burn percentage was. Um, so 65%, 65% was the burn percentage. So basically, um, the circumference of both of my arms, both of my legs, my back, my uh, lower abdomen, the back of my head, uh, my fingers. And uh, it's interesting that the burn pattern stopped at where my my boots stopped and where my boxer shorts stopped. Oh, wow. But everything else was uh, burned pretty severely. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, it reemphasizes the importance for especially these young guys <laughs> wearing your gear right. Yeah, making sure your stuff is squared away each morning, taking the time for the rig checks to make sure every bit of piece of equipment that the department offers you is set and ready to go. And and you've got to take care of that. That's man. I, I I'm still I'm just it's it's so hard to sit there and listen. I mean, 45 surgeries now, 20 years later, you said roughly in that time frame. I can't yes. fathom the pain because burn care is not what it was back then. No, especially what we're trying to do now. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and it's, this was the old antiquated ways of doing stuff. As we've always said, Vietnam era tactics is burn care. Yeah. Um, it didn't have the research like we have now and and the data that we have now and my, you know, granted it's not any better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's not a pain free way of the amount of approved, the progress that we need to make is, is, it, it, it's massive. Yeah, it's insane. But to know that, you know, hear stories like this, it puts the mission into perspective. Yeah. But what we're trying to push forward here. And I just, hearing your story, man, it, it brings it back. And to hear it from your words, from the words from your mouth especially, um, brings the realism to the, to the event itself. I mean, we could read about the reports, read the NIOSH reports, uh, the DC fire reports, and, you know, I could see the videos, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem as real until I talk to you and hear your stories direct. And then looking at um, Lou Phillips, excuse me, Lou Matthews photos and Anthony Phillips's photos, just sitting here listening mm-hmm. to you talk about them and just imagining that you were riding next to him yeah. and you, you know, you got in there, you push, you made a hallway push with them. And in a matter of five, five minutes, yep. the world's changed. Yes. With- with this with this fire did anything come out of it was it what were the lessons learned by the departments i i greg mentioned uh, some studies were done or um do do you know do you know much about on on that side uh yes quite a few things came out of this um 
So I want you to circle back to wearing your gear properly, which is key, which is key to this story. Because in the past, you know, firefighters will often shortcut putting the gear on. You know, um, Nomex hoods, you know, some of the older cats uh, would say, you know, if you wear the hood, you can't feel when, when, you know, things are getting bad. So you shouldn't wear the hood or they, they chose not to, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, the gear, because it's so the because of the technology is so good, it really protects you, but it also hurts you. And because by the time things get severe, like what they did at, at Cherry road, it's all, it's almost too late to make a, a recovery, mm-hmm. but my gear at the time was probably about three years old. We used to get a new set of gear maybe every three years at that time. And we, it was only one set, right? So it probably was at its uh, half-life, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah. I think gear is rated somewhere around 1,200 1200 degrees, um, brand new out the pack. Yep. And... Um, so, you know, it was probably at half-life, and then we're talking about 1,500-degree turnaround. So that that was a, uh, a compromised uh, situation in itself. Yeah. And then we didn't have the, uh, the understanding of cleaning our gear the way that they do now, you know. And so that added to the uh, degradation of the, of the materials, I'm sure. Right. Um, so some of the things that came out of this was one, uh, all firefighters having radios, which is, uh, a major change and, um, it gives every firefighter a fighting chance, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the, at the time, the, the, uh, chief, the responding chief r- drove himself to the, uh, fire ground and had to, you know, monitor the radio and uh, listen to um, uh, five round size up from first do second do companies, all of this while he's responding. So uh, since then, they provided the chief with an aid driver. So Good. he can focus on five round operations while he's being driven to the uh, um, driven to the scene. At the time, um, there were budget cuts in the truck companies. We used to have a six man truck company. It had dropped down to four men y'all had six man trucks we had six man trucks you know, cool. back then. <laughs> oh well, man so so they they dropped it down uh and we were running a four-man truck that night and uh so i think they're back up to a five-man truck company Jeez. um uh let's see they they implemented the safety officer on the fire ground where uh, one one officer is his his sole job is to make sure that the fire ground operation is op- that the guys are operating safely and doing what they're supposed to do mm-hmm. um, we in- implemented some of the uh, um, um, firefighter rescue training like the uh, save your own training mm-hmm. where ladder bailout um, I can't remember some of the other drills. Denver, Denver drill, I think one of them was called. 
but it was basically helping firefighters uh, to do self rescue mm-hmm. or team rescue of down firefighters, which um, that was an implementation afterwards. And um, so those were some of the things that changed as immediate, well, within a few years of, uh, of the incident. That sounds, which... that sounds massive. Those, those, those changes, like when you mentioned that individuals didn't have radios, like mm-hmm. just from somebody who's not in the fire service, I'm going, that just sounds like a no brainer to me. Like you're inside of a, a burning building. You, I feel like you would need some communication out there. And then you jump mm-hmm. into the fire chief having to, it's, those those sound like changes that have legitimately saved many many lives now. Yes, yes, I I, I truly believe that. Um, and one of the other things I, I um, failed to mention. So the integrated pass alerts, mm-hmm. which is that that alarm that sounds when a firefighter is down. That I think he he will be at rest for about thirty seconds, and then it would a, a sound to alert. Mm-hmm. other firefighters where he would be if in case he's in a untenable uh, blackened down environment at least firefighters could um, follow that that beacon to get to him so they were just implementing the integrated fire the in- integrated passes oh. Oh, sorry one second no that's okay No, that's that's fine. I understand. So, <laughs> so the in- so, integrated passes. So they they had just started experimenting with the integrated pass alerts, which uh, were a part of the air pack. The one that I had, or my myself and Lou Matthews had, was a manual um, um, pass alert. So you had to actually turn it on manually for it to activate. Mm-hmm. Whereas the integrated pass alert, you just turn on your air bottle, mm-hmm. and it it's activated. So engine 10 was a, uh, uh, the, one of the companies that they had elected to try these new integrated pass alerts with. So Tony Phillips had an integrated pass alert. Myself and Lou Matthews had the manual and I didn't turn mine on. I can tell you that for a Mm -hmm. fact. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that Lou probably didn't turn his on. Because when the first search team went in to look for Lou Matthews, because they, at, at that time, they only understood one firefighter to be down. They went to the pass alert that they heard. Mm-hmm. And when they pulled the down firefighter that they found, it turned out to be Tony Phillips. Oh. And so that's when they had to go back and do a second search to find Lou Matthews. Mm. So um, I did mention that from the time that we got hit, hit with that heated gas and my exit of the building was approximately two minutes. Mm-hmm. Lou Matthews was in that environment for 20 minutes. Oh, shoot. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. That is. T- I can't. So I, he. Yeah. I can't imagine. No. He, he was burned. Uh, third degree burn over ninety percent of his body. Mm-mm-mm. It's you know we when we when we talk about these scenarios so, so often, Bemis and I are pretty much left speechless by the severity of 
the topic and this is this is no different um but we do you know, we're c- coming to the end of our of our show and um we do want to try to end on something that you know the the fact that there has been changes and you know the say the lord works in mysterious ways is an understatement but the fact that these changes have come around and the number of lives that they must have saved due to this extremely tragic event is it i'm part of me is is just so happy that people have learned that there was a lesson learned from this it, it yes. it's it's always terrible when we have to lose people to learn these lessons but the fact that yes. we didn't do the human thing and just overlook it, we actually took it on ourselves to come out of the other end and say, we got to figure out how to make this not happen again, or hell, at least lower the damn percentage and, yeah. and chance of it happening again. Yes. 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 And, and so <laughs> you went back, did you go back to work uh, afterwards? A, 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 I did. A little bit? Um, I did. Um, I was able to uh, get back to work. It was approximately a year and a half, um, almost exact. And I was working with the, uh, down the training academy, training firefighters. And so, um, you know, I I didn't want to go to the training academy. I really wanted to be able to uh, go back to firefighting. That's what I was actually fighting to do. Yeah, but um, but I ended up uh, down the training academy, and it became a it became a rewarding uh, yeah. position that you know I was I didn't expect that I would fall in love with as well. Um, but I did that, and I was there for about four years before I was uh, forced into retirement. Mm-hmm. Well, I can so, gu- I can um, guarantee you that the people you taught to hear that firsthand experience from you, the, the value of that, I I can guarantee you is, cannot be understated. No. It, it, it's funny. I laugh about it now, but I have the opportunity to go back and I still go back uh, when invited to come down, go down and talk to some of the recruit classes and just to give them some insight of what to expect and, you know, um, to give them the uh, wherewithal to be cognizant of, of, of doing this job to the best of their ability and not, not taking it for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes they will be the officers like uh, the captains, the chiefs of these, uh, uh, of these departments, well, not departments of the different houses and they will come to me and say, yeah, you know, I was, uh, you came down and talk, spoke to my recruit class. Hmm. And I'm like, holy moly, am I that old? <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? But, uh, but it, it's really cool to see. And, you know, people just will randomly say that it, it had an impact on their career. And that is uh, uh, what's, what's been so important. Now, I, I did want to say something, and, and uh, I want to share this because it's often overlooked and it's very important, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've had the loss of the two firefighters uh, that were with me, Tony Phillips and Lou Matthews, which was a tragic, tragic loss um, for the department and their families. And it 
it brought about some uh, uh, definite needed changes. But that same year, we lost a third firefighter. And uh, his, his loss of life was just as traumatic because he served in the department for 32 years. And his name was Costello Robinson. And Costello was a, a wagon driver for uh, one of the uh, firehouses, one of the companies in D.C., engine company number two. And while I was in the hospital, he was on a call and uh, got attacked by a pit bull. Mm. And so he uh, was in the hospital for surgery and he died from a heart attack while in oh, surgery. Oh, man. Gosh. Yes. And I used to call him the colonel. And he was, uh, he was a wealth of knowledge, such a nice guy. Um, but in, you know, in the uh, notoriety of the incident at Cherry Road, a lot of times uh, his, his passing is kind of overlooked. But D.C., that was a traumatic year for Washington, D.C. Fire Department in 1999 because they lost three firefighters that year. Golly. So I did, I wanted to mention that because uh, uh, I haven't, even in my past times, uh, uh, opportunities to speak about uh, Cherry Road, I've often missed the opportunity to share um, Costello Robinson. Uh, that's, yeah, uh, thank I'm, you for sharing that. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Well, Joe, yes, it has sir. been, it has been a blessing to talk to you and to hear your story and it, no, no, Bemis and I, we could sit here with you for another another hour if they'd give it to us. Um, it's I, I can't wait to connect you with Zach and DJ and work more with you and, you know, not only spread your story, but spread your sense of optimism that this these things, when they happen, you, you have to fight. Mm -hmm. You, you, have, to, you yes. have to find a way and keep that faith. And with with that, all things are possible. Oh, things are possible. You know, yes. I've wrote down the three words that you said earlier: control, think, and execute. I, I've got them written here, and I and I'm just I've been reading those three words over and over and over again. I think that's going to be the title of this of I, this podcast. I think so too. Wow. Uh, I I'm telling you, they're they're right here on my computer screen right now. It, <laughs> quoted by Joe Morgan: "Control, think, and execute." <laughs> I I've it's. That means a lot, and just to hear your story, um, man, I, I from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for even taking the time to speak with us. But thank you for honoring the spirit and the your your, your fallen brothers, all, all three of them, yeah. from DC Fire in '99. Um, obviously, Lou and uh, Tony from this fire, but also you the said Colonel. Costello Robinson, yeah, the Colonel. Yes. Uh, thank it you for could. sharing their memory. Um, because I'm 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 real big, and I know Landon and this organization is real big about never forgetting. Absolutely. And we we stand by that. And that's why we have the the moment of silence. Yep. It's, it, we 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 want to see as few names up there, and we if if there's a name that we need to share, we need to share it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and you, and I applaud you and celebrate you for what you're doing because it's so important, and you're you're reaching people that may not otherwise be reached and you're going to make a difference in their lives. And I want to tell you guys that's I, I stand and salute you. I appreciate God it. God bless you. God Thank bless you, you so too, much, man. Joe. We hope you have a phenomenal, phenomenal day, phenomenal month and a phenomenal year and going on a phenomenal life. Yes, sir.
Thank you. If you're ever in Texas, it, you better look us up, brother. Yeah, you got to stop by the I, office. Guaranteed. Uh, you, you tell <laughs> Greg. Right. You tell Greg that he he owes you a trip up here. So. <laughs> All right, I'll do that. All right, brother. Be good, man. Thank All right, you. Brother. You See too. You Thank you. Bye. See ya. Golly. Yeah. Another one. Another one. Yeah. Just what a what an incredible person. It's. I mean, yeah, no, an amazing individual, but the emotions, like, I feel I'm drained. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm i reading, uh, he's talking, and I'm reading the NIOSH report as he's talking, and, and in my mind, I'm listening to him, and I'm just living out this horror yeah. of a story, and reading the report as I'm going along with him, I'm just sitting here, I'm like, what in the hell, man? Thank God he's alive because yeah. thank God we have his story. Yeah. And thank God we can honor Tony and Lou yeah. on that day yeah. because there are a lot of lessons learned. And if there's anything that we can learn in the fire service is that things can change in a matter of seconds. Yeah. Two seconds. I, I wanted to – I like there was a part of my brain that wanted to convince me that he said 10. That's like, what I thought I, he said, too. I wanted to convince myself, but I knew I heard, too. And to be going from 500 degrees to 1,500 degrees in two seconds, you have – there's nothing – there's nothing you can – there's yeah. literally nothing you can do. I mean, but reading – The fact that – and his instincts kicked in, it's – Yeah, it, he, he even said, it, you know, went back to the basics of his training, what he was taught, told, right? Yep. Control your breathing, think, then execute. He rolled onto his back, controlled the environment, you know. And if you read the reports about the two victims, it's even worse. And I'm glad we didn't get into it. Yeah. Um, but I encourage you guys, especially new dudes. 20 minutes in there. Go read these reports. They're there for a reason, you know. What's what's the report? It, the NIOSH reports. NIOSH the, reports. The, you know, these reports that come out after these line-of-duty deaths, you've got to read these things. They, yeah. We have got to read these things. You know, we're never going to continue to learn from our mistakes if we don't read these things. And thank God, DC Fire recognized there was eleven recommendations, if I remember correctly, eleven recommendations made by DC Fire, and it looks like they made every damn recommendation. That's they fixed it. He was going through the list of things that did change. I mean, I was shocked that the radio deal that that still just blows my mind. Yeah, but going through that list. And you, and you hate to have to say it. It's like you don't want to. I I hate thinking these things happen for reasons or something along those lines. But right. it, there can be a reason. You can make a reason yes. out of these things. Yeah. Things. I don't know if they happen for a reason or not. But if unless you're willing to make that reason, then they're not going to. And the fact that they were able to look at this and they were willing to yeah. admit fault and they were willing to take the steps to make some changes. Mm-hmm. That's. I think that. That's that's honoring the people who passed. Yeah. That's honoring their memory yeah. by saying we don't want this to happen again on our watch. The fact that they didn't know where um um I can't remember which one uh, where he was um in the fire, Lou. Yeah. But the fact they didn't know where Lou was. Yeah. Twenty at, minutes. Twenty minutes. Yeah. And they found um Tony. Tony and and it's just. That that shouldn't happen. No, that that, that should yeah. never happen. You know, and it's, you know, I just, the whole story itself is it, it's just mind boggling, and you know, I, again, I'm so blessed to be a part of this organization, to hear these stories, 
and it's unfortunate that we have to hear these stories, but he's like, he said, this is a divine thing. This is a God thing. God's put us in these positions to listen to these stories. God put him in the position that he's in. And even though he had to endure so much pain, there's a reason he's there. He lost two brothers that day, but there's a reason he's because he's carrying a legacy on. He's carrying their, their memory on with invaluable knowledge, invaluable knowledge. And the fact that he went to the training division is genius because it's basically said, now let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. This is real life right here. You're looking at me. Yeah, you're looking at real life. This is real life. This, this is what happens. This isn't a PowerPoint. Yep. This isn't some sort of video presentation with hypotheticals. Yep. This is this, this is, is it. This is real life. I can take you to the exact place that's still there. And there's a video out there. If you guys get a chance, go watch it. It's through the um, FSRI. They did a video uh, in the ISFSI. They, they they put a video together uh, on this with Joe, mm-hmm. kind of talking about that day, and it, it's about thirty minutes in length, but it is phenomenal. So, well, it I feel like we got another another good one in the bag, and yep. as as intense as that was, um, I just I I feel so honored and blessed to be able to share it. One hundred percent. I mean, it's it's just to be able to share some of these stories that these incredible people go through. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the stark difference between our last one and this one, um, you know, kind of healing, healing with humor. And then I feel like this is learning a lesson. And what are those three things? Control, think, execute. Control, think, execute. I think that's how we end the show is those three words. But I just want to also make sure sons of the flag dot org social media is all uh, at sons of the flag. Yep. Uh, look, us all up there. Uh, if you need anything, you know, if you're burned burned or if you need to burn assistance contact us on the website something sherry or landon will get back with you if you want to join the task force there's greg yep greg is dc retired Mm -hmm. legend yep (laughs) um and and thank you greg for and then we have zach and dj now carrying on the mission um doing their thing and so um hopefully joe too i can't wait to get them together no this is we're in a beautiful spot man and um to know that this story is going out on its anniversary, oh, that's twenty four years. You 99? were listening to this on, yep, on the anniversary, and yeah. I hope, I hope, that, I hope you grasp the the significance of that. Absolutely. So, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been an absolute pleasure, everybody. Landon, it's always it's a pleasure. Always brother. good sitting down with you, yes. brother. And I'm going to end it with his words. Right? Control, think, execute. Rock and roll. Thank you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.